You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. But clowns. People are afraid of clowns. Are anybody afraid of clowns in here? All right, you're welcome. I didn't put that picture up on there. Um, but that, that would have been really bad. But that, these are just some of the fears we have. And here's what's interesting about those fears. Is we will dictate decisions. We will dictate like whether you're going to go to that part of the house. Whether you're going to that corner of the basement. Based on what you know might be there, right? So if like you've got a garage and you know there's a bunch of spiders out there. Odds are your fear is going to drive you away from them, isn't it? And so you're going to wait till you have your grandkids come over or your husband gets home and say, go in there and, and smash all those spiders because you, you don't want to do anything about it. Or maybe it's clowns. You're not going to the circus if you're afraid of clowns. Like to me, I guess that's just, a, you know, common sense. Like if you're afraid of clowns, you don't want to go to the circus. So all these different types of things, they'll dictate, they will enforce decisions that you will make based on your fear. And so one of the ways that we deal with these things, and it will get much deeper than just these surface level things, is what we begin to do is we distract ourselves from them. It's one of those things where like, it's better if you didn't know that it was there than finding out it was there, isn't it? Like it's almost that ignorance is bliss type of thing. Like, I wish you didn't tell me that. You're getting ready to do something and say, hey, you know, there's a bunch of spiders down there. Now, now here you are again. You're afraid you, you can't do it. And you just wish they didn't tell you that. So one of the ways that we distract ourselves from all of those things is binge watching we do that that's a huge deal in in our country social media and even work i can think about my grandmother who passed away in the spring for example of just all the things that happened in her life just really hard things just you know and fears and anxieties that that she had in what she did kind of a way that she distracted herself was she worked you know she dropped out of school in second grade and you know she worked in factories up in new jersey all of her life in, in glass houses and stuff and that's all she knew how to do she didn't stop and deal with things for the most part, like, you know, just emotional pain and anxiety and that sort of stuff. But she just worked. And so there's a lot of the ways that that's kind of been inherited to my mom and through myself even sometimes. But whether binge watching social media work or whatever that may be for you, maybe it's college football on Saturdays. There's all these different types of things that more than likely we distract ourselves from the anxiety deep down within our heart because we just can't handle to deal with it. What about phones? Uh, statistically, we check our phones 81,500 times a year. 81,000 times we do this. We check our phones. Or once every 4.3 minutes. All right, we did this stat here with the high school kids on Wednesday. We had probably about 300 kids in here. No chairs. They're all sitting on the floor. And I think I said, I asked them, like, how many people in here have checked their phones 10 times since you've been in here? And they've only been in here for like 10 minutes. And I had like half the room raise their hands. Okay. So it's like, it's even worse when you get further down in, in age. How about Netflix? Uh, statistically in, in the year 2015, Netflix users watched four, 42.5 billion hours of entertainment. 42.5 billion hours. And it even said that 70% of Netflix users binge watch. If you don't know what that means, basically it means that you just sit down and you'll watch through an entire season of a show. Like just right then in one sitting. Like that's kind of what binge watching is like. Wow, you could be out doing so many things. And I'm not saying that pridefully at all because I've done it. Okay. And I'm counting down the days, October 27th, my favorite show, Stranger Things, new season comes out. 
and I'll probably end up doing it then. Me and my brother have already planned, planned he's going to take off work that day. Like we've, already, we've already planned around this, okay? So I'm not saying, like, this is just terrible all the time, but, like, if you're using this just to distract yourself from life, we need to have a talk here. And this, this is what's crazy. I read an article a couple months ago, and Netflix was talking about, they had their, you know, their shareholder meeting, and they were talking about, like, what is their biggest competition? So can anybody guess what the biggest competitor to Netflix is? And if you were at the crusade, Peyton, no, don't, don't say anything. All right, so what is the biggest competitor to Netflix? Anybody guess? Hulu, okay. Hulu, there's one. Any others? Okay, you've got Hulu, you've got Amazon Prime, you've got, you know, Sling TV now, you've got all these different providers that provide you instant access to TV and movies and, and whatever. But Netflix, in their press conference, said that their biggest competitor was not rival companies. Their biggest competitor was sleep. Their biggest competitor was when we actually have to go to bed, when we turn it off and we stop watching. And so they're even kind of working, like, how can we figure out a way to keep people up longer to watch more of our shows? And so with all that, let me pray for us as we open God's word. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, if you have your Bibles with us. If not, we'll have it on the screen. But let, let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce our hearts. God, able to pierce our, our thoughts, our affections, our desires. God, I pray that you would just peel those layers back today. God, I pray that you would open us and you would free us from anxiety, from fear, from worry, God, and that we would have a whole heart of trust in this gospel. God, and that we would lean upon you each and every day. God, may you guide us and lead us in this time when we ask that you would be honored and glorified. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So starting in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, this is part of the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So the first thing I want to say here, and I know that the youth that are here, they know because I, I, I just spend so much time on this one word all the time. But anytime you see the word therefore in a passage, you need to ask, why is it therefore? So that's just saying, hey, you need to go back and read the passage before. And if you read the passage before, it talks about not laying up treasures in heaven. And the last two verses of that passage, the last verse actually, in verse 24, this is what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what he was saying there was, you can't love God and love money. Because here's the deal. If you love money, it's going to rule over you. It's going to be your master. And you're going to you're going to obey your master. You're going to honor your master. You're going to love your master. And you're going to respect your master. And so you can either have that, have that attitude, have that posture towards money or God. And then he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So evidently, Jesus is saying, hey, just like money, just like those who bow down to the God of mammon, of money, we bow down to the God of anxiety, to the God of worry. One pastor said, um, anxiety and fear is a way of letting our fears disciple us, of letting our worries, letting our doubts, our concerns, letting them disciple us and to speak what they say may be life into us. You cannot serve two masters. 
And then Jesus brings it down to talking about our possessions. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Now, for the most part, because of our, our, our wealth in here, we're in the top, what, 2% of the world's wealth? Of the entire world, we're in the top 2%. Uh, with with that uh, demographic, more than likely, you're probably not too worried on like your clothes or too worried about food. Maybe some some of you might be, um, but more likely, we're worried about other things. We're worried about our time. We're worried about things going on in our family, things going on at church. We're worried about um, drama and relationships and all these other things that we're anxious about. And we walk each and every day, we wake up in the morning just feeling like there's a boulder sitting on our chest because of the anxiety that is upon us about these things. Maybe it's about your kids. Like you just you just barely find the strength each day to move on because you're just so anxious about your kids and what they're doing. About if they're doing something stupid or if they're doing something good or if they're making something of themselves. You're just, you have these anxieties all the time. And all of us have something. I don't know what that might Maybe it's health. Maybe it's your physical health. You just you wake up every day just worried and fearful. And Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about it. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So he says, all right, let's stop this for a second. Just look around here, because he's, he's speaking outside, he's speaking on top of a mountain, and he said, look around. Look at those birds. Look at them. Like, God provides for those birds. Those birds aren't collecting a 401k, they're not checking their stock funds, they're not, you know, working a 9 to 5, but God is providing for those birds. And then he says, are you not of much more value than they? So here you have all of creation, the mountains, the trees, the, the, the flowers, the leaves, and birds, and, and cats and dogs, and all these different types of things, and yet God is providing for them. And here we have us who are made in the Imago Dei, made in the image of God, to display His glory and to enjoy Him, while all these other things in creation, they are what they are. And there is no devoted relationship to the Father the way that humans can have. And so we are much more valuable than the animals. So if God provides for them, will he not provide for us? Then he says, he says that, that can you even add an hour to your span of life by worrying about something? And this is what's interesting, that worry actually, it, it doesn't add life to you, but it actually takes life away. It takes life away. According to researchers from universities and hospitals in Edinburgh and London, this suffering, the suffering of anxiety that, that, that many people have, that we worry about stuff constantly, with mild cases of anxiety, have a 29% increased risk of dying from heart disease and stroke. Also, 29% higher chance to die in external affairs, such as a road accident. 29% higher. And they did this study, I think it was believed it was from like 94 to 14 or something like that. It was a, it was a good period of time. 29% higher rate. Because we just walk around, we're just worried about stuff all the time. Because we're just anxious about stuff all the time. And that, that last one was really interesting. Even like this has nothing to do with your physical health. 29% higher chance to die in external affairs, such as a road accident. You're just anxious. You're worried about everything. And here you are, you see a yield sign and you just pull on out. You're in a hurry and boom, you're gone. 29% higher rate. That's wild. Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So Jesus is saying, why? Why are you worried about all of this? Why are you so concerned? Why do you waste time? You waste energy? You waste sleep time? Because you're up all night thinking about it. Why are you doing all this? And why don't you just trust me? Once again, he points us back to nature and he says, look at these flowers here. Look at them. Look how beautiful and gorgeous. Even King Solomon with all of his riches, with all of his might and wisdom, even he was not clothed like they are clothed. Trust me. Why aren't you confident in my provision? If there's one thing that I think that I need help with and that I think we need help with as Christians, it's, it's a restoration of awe and wonder. Of, of we're so fixated on everything else. Like when is the last time we just like took a walk and were just put in awe of God by what was around us, by creation? I mean, now we're at that beautiful part of the year where the, the leaves are turning and it's just gorgeous. And it's, you know, East Tennessee is one of the best places you can live to see all this stuff. There's just a tip. There's just a, a, a very just practical challenge for you. Go out by yourself and walk around the neighborhood. Go to the park. Walk around and just look at creation and just see how glorious your Creator is. And it's so crazy that even all of this part of creation, how it does have purpose, but it's infinitely insignificant compared to us. And Jesus emphasizes that again. And I guess really most of our problem with distrust and anxiety and worry about God's provision is that we want things that we don't need. We want so many things that we don't need. But the promise here is not that God's going to provide those things. The promise is that God will provide what we need for us to rejoice and enjoy Him forever. That may even be suffering. But as we talked about last year, for those of you who came to the sorrowful yet always rejoicing sermon I did, we went through the book of Job, of like we saw that as a glorious gift. And at the end, at the end of Job's suffering, he could say it was worth it. It was worth it to know God in a greater way. Verse 31. Therefore, there's another therefore, and we've already kind of covered why it's therefore. Do not be anxious saying, what will we eat? What will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So once again, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. And then maybe if you're like me, when I was reading this, it's like, well, thanks, Jesus. Another do and don't. Another thing that I know in my head, hey, don't do this. Or, hey, do this. Like, I know it, but I can't move my heart to believe and to trust and to do it. But it actually is just a call to trust. It's more than just saying, don't do this and do this. It's Jesus leaning in and taking hold and asking you to return the favor to him. To return the embrace of him. That you would lean in and trust in him. I said earlier, anxiety is a way of letting our fears disciple us. This is a call for Jesus to disciple us. Elsewhere, Jesus said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So much lighter than, than the worry about our kids. So much lighter than the worry about our job, about our finances. It's so much better. And God knows what we need, doesn't he? 
God knows what you need, what you really need. And God loves to provide. A few Wednesday nights ago, we covered uh, the parable of the persistent widow. And basically that story that Jesus tells is, is there's a lady who's a widow, and she's being taken advantage of financially from a bunch of people. And because um, pretty much in, in, in this day and age, like that would happen all the time. If you were a widow, you got taken advantage of. And so she goes and speaks to an unrighteous judge. So she goes and speaks to a judge who's not a believer, who doesn't love God, and it's all about him. You know, he does things for himself. But she keeps going and going and going and going and going. And it's almost like she just becomes just really a bother. Like she just gets on his nerves. Until finally, that judge grants her justice. That judge avenges her the way that he should have the first time. And he says, Jesus says this, if the unrighteous judge acted according to this, will not God, will not your heavenly father avenge and speak justice into those who cry out to him day and night, to his children who cry out to him? He loves to provide. He loves to provide and to take care of his children. And, it, and it's even a reorienting of, of, of our desires and our goals. So like if you were to just list out things that you want in life, things that you want in the next five months, in the next five years, like what are those things? Like what on what number is, is man, I want to deepen my intimacy with God. Where's that? Man, I want to know him better. Man, I want to be able to go to my, my workplace and I want to at least share the gospel with three people this year. That's a very achievable goal. Like, I just want to be able to build a relationship with three people and to share my story and to share the gospel and how God's redeemed me with three people. Like, where are those things on our list? Because it often seems, and I'm preaching myself here too, is that I'm concerned and worried and anxious about so many things that have nothing to do with the eternal state of people's soul. Even my own. Even my own heart. So Jesus says, reorient your desires. Lean in to trust him and reorient your goals and your desires, not around clothes, not around food, not around when we'll do this, when we'll do that, but on him. And then what was the deal like when he said, he talked about the Gentiles. What does that even mean? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Basically what he's saying, think about all these people who don't know God. Think about the wicked. Think about people who, who are are. With, without Christ, who just as we were before Christ, dead in our sin, born hating God, uh, there's no one that seeks God, not even one, Psalms 14, Ephesians 2, all men are dead in their sin, but Christ has made us alive. Matthew 5.45 says that God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So regardless of their attitude towards God and their lifestyle, God is still showing goodness to them. They wake up. They're breathing oxygen. They find a way to have food. You know, they have the, the sun rises. Like all these different things that they don't deserve. But God provides them. Because they need them. And, and, and in case you haven't caught this kind of uh, very, very just common uh, speaking tactic that Jesus uses. It's this, this art of contrast. That's what we just did when we talked about the parable of the persistent widow. That there's this contrast of, look at this. Now how much more for you? Now look at the animals, look at the wicked, how God provides for them. Now how much more for you, my children? God loves to provide for his kids. He does. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God will take care of you. You might, you might not have as much money as you want. You might not be able to drive the, the car you want. Like, really, though, like, once again, that's another problem that we have. It's like, those things don't even matter. Because in the chapter before, lay up treasures in heaven, he says, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. That car's going to get rusty one day. That car's going to be gone. The house is going to be gone. The 401k is going to be gone. There's an old, old Puritan quote that I love, and it said that this life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Only what is done for Christ will last. Seek God first and seek joy in him first. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God, that you would place your heart to pursue your joy and satisfaction and peace in him alone. Even when it hurts, even when it hurts, you would bring those things to him. What's also interesting about all of this is we think right now that, man, I need to do this and I will be making a sacrifice if I do it. We're not making a sacrifice to do that. We are not. We're making zero sacrifice to say, man, I'm going to quit worrying about things of this life in this world and start focusing more on Jesus. That is not a sacrifice. That's a gift. That's a gift. Nobody wastes time with Doritos and popcorn when a five-course meal is being served. So here it is today. Here's the call. I mean, this is, I guess you could say, this is the invitation to you from the Lord himself that you would go after him. Because he's so much better. He's so much better than a better spouse. He's so much better than better finances, better health. A better prosperity, a better church, a better life, whatever. You know, we want our best life now. But if you really, really, really want your best life now, then it will mean giving up things that don't matter and placing your faith in Christ. See, it's more, and we talked about this this week, and I, I, it gets on my nerves, I guess, because I have to dispel this all the time. This is the way it is in the South. That being a Christian, following Jesus, isn't just this one-time thing. That you walk an aisle one time, you pray a prayer after somebody, and somebody says, well, you're saved, brother, now let's go get baptized. Like, that is, that's not even in here. The, this, like, sinner's prayer, repeat a prayer. Read, read this. It's not here. It's not even in here. And so, th there's so many ways, like, that we have, have to dispel that. And I did that this week with these kids. Like, no, it is a... Placing faith and trust in Jesus to make you right with the Father, to cleanse you from your sin, to take His righteousness upon you, and that now, now you can live your life satisfied in Him. Yeah, it's a struggle. Yeah, we, we have issues, and we sin, and we, we fall, and we do bad things, and, and we, we continue to struggle. But see, that's the difference between us and an unbeliever is that we continue to struggle. We continue to fight. I love Philippians 1.6. It's very encouraging. It says that God who began this good work and you will bring it to completion of the day of Christ Jesus. So regardless of where you are now, he will bring it to completion. And so there's a question for you. Do you find your joy in Jesus? Or is your faith just intellectual? And so here's where you are. You walked in here this morning and you're so anxious about so much because you're wondering, God, where are you? 
But the thing is, we've missed it. We've totally missed of where our heart's supposed to even be. Because what we've thought is we've had this westernized, Americanized view of God that, man, we'll just be a good person and we'll have everything we're sp- we want to have. Rather, really, if you look through Scripture, me and Marty were talking about this the other day, uh, riches and, and, and all these good prosperity things that seem to happen, there are more times they're talked about in the Bible as a curse than a blessing. There are more times talked about the devil using those things than God using those things for our good. Think about the rich young ruler who had all the riches and walked away sorrowful from Jesus. He saw it as a sacrifice. Man, I'm having to get up all this stuff to give, give to get Jesus. And I don't want to give all that up. Rather than a blessing. Man, who cares about all that? I get Jesus. He is so much better. And so... Think about maybe that one thing that you're anxious about today. Can God not provide for that? Can God not sustain you in that anxiety? I'll tell you one thing that I really got convicted about a few months ago, and it's it's I've begun to see God really working in it, is for me to really ask every single day, God, help me to live my life one day at a time. Because I find myself so anxious and worried about everything when I think about, well, what about this? What about this? And I'm thinking like, here, here's a 25-year, the next 25-year span, things I want to do, how I want to do them, and here I am worried about it. Like, rather than just one day at a time, seek God and trust His plan for you day by day. Give thanks to Him. Worship Him and praise Him. And maybe, hey, if you don't feel satisfied with that, and you're like, man, I still want this, God, and I know I know how I'm supposed to feel, go to Him with that. Why not? Why not go to Him and say, God, my heart's not in it. I don't want this. But help me want it. Help me to want it. Help me to want you like I need to. One writer said this, We run away like conscientious little bugs, scared rabbits, dancing attendants on our machines, our slaves, our masters, clicking, scrolling, tapping, tapping, liking, sharing, anything. We think we want peace and silence and freedom and leisure, but deep down, we know that this would be unendurable to us. In fact, we want to complexify our lives. We don't have to. We want to. We want to be hassled and busy. Unconsciously, we want the very thing we complain about. For if we had leisure, we would look at ourselves and listen to our hearts and see the great gaping hole in our hearts and be terrified. Because that hole is so big that nothing but God can fill it. Charles Spurge in the 1800s said that our heart is like a horse leech. Evermore it says give, give, give. But until Christ be given to the heart, it will never be satisfied. It will never be enough. No financial security will be enough. No having good kids will be enough. Not even having a good church will be enough. So what is the remedy for our anxiety? What is the true remedy that will free us from this? From being controlled by this? From from not going here because of what we're anxious about that's there? Not giving up this because of the anxiety that's there? The remedy is Christ. The remedy is a continual commitment, a daily reorienting our hearts focus on Him. One lady said this, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. 
So if here we are today worried about tomorrow, worried about next week, worried about next year, we're wasting time that we'll never get back. We're wasting time of joy, of peace, of contentment in Christ today. Verse 34, he said, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day of its own trouble. Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. Why not rest in where we are today and trust in the Lord? There's an old hymn, and I always remember it in times of, of, of doubt, and it said that trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So simple, but so true. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest. He will give you the rest that you were made for. He will give you the rest that you need. Go to Him. Tyler's going to get ready and come up, and we're going to sing, we're going to worship. Um, you know, I don't know where you are, and we don't, I mean, I'm, we're not going to do, a, I guess, necessarily a typical invitation sort of thing, but like, maybe you just need, you need help. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you about something. Um, there are so many people in this room, just grab them by the arm and say, hey, will you just pray for me? They'll pray for you right there. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you have like you have questions about what really is the gospel? What really is Christianity? Like how 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 do I know that I'm really saved? Maybe you have those questions. We've got cards you can write. We've got a, an app um, that you can go on there. You can fill stuff out or just grab somebody and talk to them. Um, we want you to know this is a place that it's okay to not be okay. And we're here to help one another out. So I'm going to say a couple things as Tyler makes his way up here that I want to leave us with. This is what Jesus does. When he sees this anxiety, he sees this fear, this is what he does. Jesus can free us from the anxiety of approval because now we have his. So if that's what you're anxious about, approval of someone, when you have his approval, you don't need anybody else's approval. Jesus frees us from the anxiety of being loved because we are forever loved by him. Maybe you feel like you're not loved, like you're alone. When you have God's love, you find out that it's enough, that it's sufficient for you. Jesus frees us from the anxiety of making money because no matter what we have or don't have, He is our ultimate treasure. So whether our stocks in the market tomorrow crashed all the way to the bottom and we've lost everything, we're able at the end of the day to say it is well with my soul because Jesus is our treasure. Jesus frees us from the anxiety of sinful mistakes because He has been punished on our behalf. This is the gospel. This is gospel hope for an anxious heart. Christ on the cross paying our debt, paying the wrath that we deserved rising from the dead, and now we get His righteousness, and God looks at us the way He looks at His Son. Man, what other way to free us from the anxieties about life than to think about this glorious freedom we have in Christ through the gospel? So as, as we sing together, think on that. Pray on that. Maybe your heart is just cold and dead this morning. Go to God with it. God, my heart is cold. My affections are dry. Open me up to see you this morning. Why not? What's stopping you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this glorious freedom we have through Jesus. 
we thank you, God, that you can free us from our anxieties, our fears, because you hold us in your hand, God, that you provide us what we need to love you and enjoy you and use our life for your glory. God, help us to be content in whatever you give us. God, I pray that you would deliver us from from just our, our continual distracting from what bothers us, from our anxieties, through our phones, through entertainment. God, free us from that. God, and help us immediately when we feel a certain type of way, when we feel anxiety and we feel fearful and we're just, we're tired and and we don't want to do and we want to run to these things. God, I pray that we would bring them to you immediately and say, God, this is how I feel. Help me.